Hi friends, this is Ian Khan and you're listening to The Ian Khan Show. This is an Aftershock special episode and I'm speaking with a co-contributor to the recent book, Aftershock. I'm speaking with Ignacio Peña today and he's a strategist, investor and international speaker, strategic advisor to senior leaders, startups, corporations and governments. He's also the founder and CEO of Surfing Tsunamis, a catalyst of abundance, inclusion and regeneration through high impact initiatives and transformational innovation. Ignacio is also lecturer at Wharton and faculty at Singularity University. Let's speak with Ignacio. Ignacio Peña, welcome to the Ian Khan Show. A very warm welcome. And you are in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Tell us how is life down there because I am freezing here in Canada. (laughs) Beautiful weather. Um, Very happy to be here with you. Excellent. So Ignacio, just for our viewers, this conversation is happening because you and I both are part of Aftershock, this amazing book that John Schroeder put together. 50 other futurists from the world are part of this. They've written their thoughts, ideas about Alvin Toffler, Heidi Toffler, their book, Future Shock, and really what the future is all about, unprecedented change. And we're living in that era of unprecedented change today. 2020 has been marked as the year of, I'm marking it as a year of of COVID-19. And this is one of the biggest changes that I believe has occurred in humanity. Let's talk about Toffler. Let's talk about the future. Let's talk about things that we can change and things we should look forward to in the future. Tell me a little bit about yourself. I read your article in the book and the book starts off with where there is no vision, the people perish, Proverbs 29, 18. Uh, That's the start of your chapter. Tell us your relationship with change. Fantastic. Let me tell you a little bit about myself and the way I see the future then. I studied economics. I I worked for 15 years in strategy consulting, first at Busan and Hamilton, and then 13 13 years at the Boston Consulting Group based in Brazil, leading the strategy practice area in Latin America and working throughout that period with about 100, uh, in 100 projects for large corporate clients focused mostly on, on growth strategies. Then in the last 10 years, I, I came back to, to Argentina and, and I've been working focused on innovation. Basically, I came back to Argentina, saw the country in very bad shape and asked myself, okay, how can I give back? How can I contribute? If I don't do that, why would I expect anybody else to do it? Because I'm, I'm in a privileged position. So for several years, I worked for free on trying to find an answer. Where is hope? for a country like Argentina, where is hope for a region like Latin America and the Caribbean? And basically the answer that I came up with was, it, certainly it's not in raw materials. Uh, hope, I think, that, that faces massive uh, tsunamis of change, like climate change, aging population, fast-paced automation, comes from the massive technology revolution that we are seeing unfold, powered by exponential technologies like artificial intelligence, mobile telecommunications, synthetic biology, pre-printing, space technology, things like this. And basically, what I saw was that the cost of innovation has fallen dramatically and access to global markets has increased and, and today is accessible by anyone every, everywhere. So basically, what I saw was that there was an opportunity to catalyze a better future from Latin America and, and also I think that this is applicable for the world. I see the opportunity for a future of abundance, inclusion and regeneration. So dramatically improving our standard of living, eradicating poverty and creating a more inclusive society and turning the clock back on environmental de- destruction. And, it, and basically I've been working in the past 10 years to catalyze that future by transforming, helping to transform uh, Latin America into a region 
of innovation and also by working to activate the industries of the future. But I think that many of the challenges that Latin America faces today are also faced by other Western uh, countries like, like the United States and Europe. I think that we have a massive opportunity ahead and we're really not tackling it in a proper way. I think that we, we should really be bolder in terms of embracing the change that is coming. And basically in terms of what we see today, you were mentioning the COVID crisis. I agree with you. It's a, it's a a significant challenge, but but it's only a, a prologue of the change that is coming our way. I think it's a, a perfect case for future shock. I think that change is unfolding at a faster pace than we can recognize or actually adapt to. And this is, a, I think, a, a case of future shock. And I would argue that the way out of future shock, the antidote for an, for future shock is hope and empathy and, and sort of a bold vision that, that allows us to come out of those holes, uh, serve those tsunamis that are coming our way and build a better future together. Incredible. Thank you so much. And that really summarizes a lot of things and helps us understand where you come from. Now, you've also been part of XPRIZE. You, you have a few initiatives that are, are on your website as well. Tell us about that. Yeah, so basically in this 10 years, uh, as a catalyst, I've been doing lots of things. I invested in 25 startups together with friends and, and we I mean, out of that, we already have one unicorn and, and others uh, that, are, that may become unicorns. I help uh, policymakers to, I mean, design strategies of how to turn Buenos Aires into a hub for innovation, entrepreneurship, and technology. I'm faculty at Singularity University. I helped Singularity to, to do some of the first events in Latin America and internationally, actually. I'm also a lecturer at, at Wharton, and, and basically I do a course together with a friend and a professor from Wharton called Raul Kapoor. We do a course on technology, entrepreneurship, and innovation in, in Latin America and in Argentina and Chile now, specifically. Yeah. And I'm an advisor also to startups and to other corporations. And I did work with, with Express. Basically, I gathered together a group of 35 people. We all put some money and, and we basically worked together with Express to design a concept that I then scale to another level in a proposal for the G20. And the, the, the concept was basically the, the Abundance Games, which would be a, a global competition to basically put the power of innovation at the service of the most vulnerable by catalyzing innovations that would make fresh, nutritious food ultra affordable everywhere. Yeah. But, but then not, not just food, but also other concepts. So we designed that concept. It hasn't been uh, turned into a reality yet. But as I mentioned, I later uh, took that concept and presented a, an even bolder idea, which was the inclusion moonshot for the, I mean, during the G20 organization here in, in Buenos Aires. Unfortunately, it didn't turn out into a reality, but I keep working on this. Yeah, yeah. So basically, I, I see an opportunity to pull the power of innovation at the service of this vision of inclusion, abundance, inclusion, and regeneration. You talk a lot about, and you just mentioned it as well, you talk about hope and empathy. So let's talk about that. You know, today we are definitely looking at technology as a big enabler to do many things, whether it's you know, utilizing the power of data and then doing something with AI technology, blockchain chain technology, whatever technology to extract value from data. We can look at automation. We're looking at so many different things that are hopefully planned. Many entrepreneurs are working on it. You know, you mentioned a unicorn, many unicorns are doing stuff. What about hope and empathy? Do you believe that technology and the fact that uh, future shock, the, the rapid change of things is lacks empathy and hope? 
I think that doesn't necessarily lack empathy and hope when you see, for example, Elon Musk creating SpaceX and Tesla. I mean, his basic premise or question was, what is the most positive thing or contribution that I can do for humanity? And that has led to amazing results. And I, and I would argue that is sort of the purpose-driven, human-centered sort of uh, approaches that, that I think we should have. I think that we should not fall into sort of idolatry of technology as technology will save us. I think that technology offers us incredible tools and I would argue sort of the paintings and the, the brushes that we need to paint a better future. But in order to make a, a masterpiece of the future, I think that we have to put, we have to have a human-centered yeah. view. And, and if you look at, in a very pragmatic view, at what the innovation community is doing right now. I think that in a way it is doing that when, for example, we see design thinking, which is an empathy-driven sort of methodology, uh, flourish. So I think that it's there, but I think that we could put it more in the center and we could translate it also into public policies and into bolder visions. I think that it could also be more at the center of sort of corporations, large corporations, which I think that by large have, have lost sight of their purpose. Mm and need to rethink their purpose in the new context. In the next decade, we're going to see more change than humanity has ever seen. Unless you step back and sort of you think about uh, how this creation, this corporation uh, can be useful for people and can really improve lives in the most positive way, I think that it's unlikely that you're going yeah. to find the strength to renew that company. Yeah. So I think that it's, it's empathy and hope, uh, but within sort of the market-driven societies. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that the possibility is there, the reality is there, but, but I think that we, I mean, we could have, I mean, if we want to step out of sort of fear, a place yeah. of fear and sort of lack of hope, we need to think about how we can be useful for others and also touch base with the fact that there are people that are in much worse position than we are. Of course. So uh, people have, are afraid of coming out, for example, of their houses. Fine, I understand that. And I think we should stay home and be safe. But at the same time, we should remember that, for example, the policies that, or lockdown policies that we're implementing are expected to increase the number of hunger deaths this year from yeah. 130 million to 265 million. Yes. So 130 million people are going to die for, uh, from hunger only this year due to those economic policies. And I would argue that, that if we looked at this with empathy and we thought about those people, then we would probably look for solutions that take those people into consideration and come out in a better place. So you said that 135 million people across the world are going to die because of hunger this year in 2020, 135 million. An additional 135 million. So the, the expectation is it will go from 130 million to 265, approximately. Let's start with 130, the lower point, the 130 million. We're also living in the era of COVID-19. 2020, we cannot ignore it. COVID-19 has been everywhere. And um, although it's a pandemic that's claiming a lot of lives, I think worldwide, the toll is around 150, less than 200,000, isn't it? America is at 80,000 right now, plus the others from Europe, are, you know, 150,000 approximately. And the coverage that COVID-19 is getting is it has taken over everybody's life. We all are checking the news. The news is talking about COVID-19 24-7. How, how can we even compare that with 135 million lives that are lost every year, but we don't hear about it? And why is that? I mean, if you look at the massive problems that, that humanity is facing, things like climate change, like aging population, 
I would argue sort of drug addictions. I mean, all these things have to do with selfishness with a genera- or too much debt in the yeah. world. Yeah. It has to do with a generation that has sort of, in a way, mortgaged the future without consideration for the, the next generation, right? Yeah. So everything's valid in order to optimize your present. And Argentina has been doing that for 90 years and the results have been horrendous. The way to come out of that is to think about our children and to think about, okay, how can we leave a better future for them? I would, I would argue that that's sort of empathy. And, and when, when we think about sort of hunger, as you were saying, we're not talking about that. I would, I would argue that that's lack of empathy. Yeah. It's yeah. like, oh, they're, they're, they're dying, but they're far away. And yeah. it's that's not okay, you know? It's not okay. You also talk about the concept of air. I really like yeah. it. Tell our viewers a little bit about your concept of Air. Yes. So, I mean, in a time of crisis, we all feel sort of suffocating. It's like, I think that I would argue that humanity needs air and air is, is abundance, inclusion and re- regeneration. And it, it connects back to what you were saying. A people without a, a vision shall perish. And I think that this is something that we know for thousands of years. And today we're lacking this vision. We're lacking sort of the program kind of mindset of let's go for the moon. Um, but let's go for the moon in terms of creating a better society, creating a better society, not by going to socialism or things that have failed, but by using the power of innovation to create this future of abundance, inclusion, and regeneration. In terms of abundance, we have an opportunity to make a step change in productivity and basically unlock growth engines that can add three to 5% growth per year. And if you take one example, artificial intelligence, I mean, it's supposed to, I mean, has the potential to add 1% of GDP growth per year for the coming years, 1.2%. That compares to 0.3% of the steam engine. And so it's several times more powerful than the steam engine. And it makes sense because, I mean, the steam engine basically allows us to augment our muscle. The artificial intelligence will help us to augment our brains, right? So add to that the possibility of digital services, of telework on a massive scale. Add to that things like entrepreneurial innovation, add to that electric mobility, in renewable energies, synthetic biology, and sort of industry 4.0, and you have the possibility to, to create a future of abundance. Yes. Then let's take inclusion. Yeah. In terms of inclusion, we could make basic necessities several times cheaper than, than what they are today. So take food, for example. Imagine the impact that, for example, Alternative proteins is going to have, which require much less land, much less water than traditional agriculture is going to have in terms of making meat and basic commodities, food commodities more affordable. Or imagine, for example, creating applications that would allow, I mean, most of the people that have hunger today are smallholder farmers in Africa or Asia. Imagine creating artificial intelligence applications or applications in, in smartphones that will be accessible to these people that allow them to apply uh, permacultural techniques, like having a, an assistant that teaches them how to uh, and walks them step by step to create, uh, sort of to apply these, uh, these techniques that we know can produce abundance of food, even in harsh environments, so that they can multiply their yields without having tractors or fertilizers or things like this. And in terms of regeneration, if you think about the power of renewables, solar, wind, but then also compact fusion, for example, compact mm-hmm. nuclear fusion. Mm-hmm. If you think about the power of bioplastics, so we have the possibility to actually turn the clock back and heal the environment. I mean, electric cars today are already cheaper if you to- take the, the perspective of the total uh, car ownership, total cost of ownership. Yeah. They're cheaper than conventional cars yeah. and they're going to become much cheaper. So this vision of air 
is possible. It's just that there are massive uh, resistances to this change. And sometimes we, there is also the lack of strategic planning and sort of a proactive role to, mm -hmm. to make those things happen. Uh, thank you, Ignacio. You also mentioned that, you know, you're an investor and you work with startup companies. And I really believe future is in the hands of companies and innovators that are solving some uh, big problems with the simplest of solutions, right? That's, I mean, simplicity and is the key, but it's also addressing these problems that nobody's looking at. You also mentioned a little bit of that in, uh, in your chapter in Aftershock, where you're talking about technologies such as uh, 5G, technologies in Africa that are making a change on the ground in Latin America. Tell us a little bit about what are you seeing happening in the startup ecosystem generally, not just as an investor, but as an innovator yourself and as an investor as well, like what is going on there? Well, if you look at, there's a, a global startup revolution taking place and basically we're seeing sort of innovation come out of Silicon Valley and spread throughout the United States. We have seen the emergence of several sort of startup ecosystems in, yeah. in places like New York or in Colorado or in Miami. There is a, also a new ecosystem. There are many places that were throughout the United States where this is happening, but also outside, outside of the U.S. So clearly in Israel, this began, I mean, early Israel has been sort of a, an early starter in this. Uh, but then if you look at China, for example, today China is, is in, has a, a venture capital industry that is similar to the U.S. and this has happened over the course of 10 years and same thing is happening although I, I'm, I'm sad to say that a smaller scale in Latin America. I mean Latin America the venture capital ecosystem has multiplied it's growing at 100% per year today it's at about four billion dollars the yeah. potential is for 400 billion dollars per year and we already have clear demonstrations of sort of the, the potential of the, the ecosystem to create value at a large scale so we have for example Mercado Libre which is worth around 40 billion dollars and basically mm. it's a company out of Buenos Aires and when people come to the students come to to see this yeah. they can believe it yeah. it's really really a massive company and they're just starting or if you look at for example Satellogic a company that I'm collaborating with I helped to sort of do their to, to, to do some of their first runs and an investor also in them. They basically, uh, and they're three blocks away from my house here in Palermo, and basically they, they created satellites, cost hundreds of thousands of dollars instead of hundreds of millions of dollars. And they've been doing that this for several years. They already put, I think that's something like 12 satellites in space, but they're creating a constellation of two, uh, over 200 satellites in space to yeah. provide high resolution imagery of every point on, of the earth yeah. near real time. So um, basically, what we're seeing is that even in sort of deep tech spaces, it is possible to innovate from uh, remote places in economic environments like Argentina. So if it can be done in Argentina, it can be done anywhere. Yeah, excellent. excellent. And, and I think that gives it the opportunity for emerging countries to rethink their position in the world. I would argue that we're seeing this happening in China. If you look at sort of the growth engines that I was mentioning, there are, I would say there are 10 growth engines like things like e-commerce, like mobile payments, artificial intelligence, things like this, yeah. renewables, yeah. you see that 
China has been very strategically taking a, an unfair share of each of these industries uh, due to strategic foresight. And I think that it's very important that the rest of the world sort of catches up with this uh, mindset and, and begins to, to claim their share of the future, putting the future on top of the past. So giving priority to the future rather than the past. I want to talk a little bit about how digital transformation, and we've been hearing digital transformation for years. I mean, it's unbelievable sometimes to think that we're still using so much paper in industries or there's so much inefficiency in many different industries from accounting to banking to healthcare, name it. There's inefficiency in the system no matter what. Technologies such as, say, blockchain are pushing the limit a little bit to help us accelerate. Or a very simple example is just digital you know, conferencing, web conferencing. Many people are now jumping on board and people are working remote. So this, this whole era of digital revolution is now being accelerated because humanity is being pressured or humanity is being pushed in a certain direction by COVID-19, especially in 2020. Tell our viewers, give us your piece on what digital transformation should mean. Like, should companies jump into digital solutions? Can we trust digital solutions? Many startups are creating new platforms and stuff. I, I want our viewers to understand that there's a sea of solutions out there and it's time to jump into it. Absolutely. There are people who think that crisis will be sort of uh, an opportunity to go back to the past. And I think that it's on the contrary. In every... Every one of the fields that I mentioned, what we're seeing is sort of the future uh, coming faster than, than before. Mm. So if you see, uh, for example, the share of e-commerce over retail sales in the U.S., we're seeing a massive jump. If we see uh, telework, I mean, we see Zoom, the platform that we're using, multiplied by 30 the number of, of users in less than six months. So we're seeing this, in, or if you see renewables, they're not taking such a big hit as as fossil fuels. If we see automation is actually accelerating the demand for sort of electric cars. And I mean, in all of these areas, we're seeing sort of the future and playing at fast forward speed. Okay. So I think that it's, if the case was there in the past, it's only grown bigger. But I would argue that, that digital transformation is really probably not the best, the best concept. We did a, a course a few years back in Miami with um, several owners and CEOs of some of the largest uh, groups in Latin America. And we spoke about sort of disruptive innovation, but also digital transformation. And when we saw, when we were discussing digital transformation, I would say that the energy level was lower versus when, when we think in terms of 10x and sort of disruptive innovation. And I think that the problem with digital transformation is that it's maybe not bold enough in the sense that sometimes people take digital transformation for as being, a, oh, I'll do the same thing as in the past, but I'll do it in a digital channel. And then you're not really getting it. What you need to think about is that your entire industry and the boundaries of your industry are going to be redefined. And you have to sort of look at your the playing field in a new way and suddenly take into consideration that digital is taking over the world. I mean, take an example, e-commerce, take another example, digital payments. Yeah. This is just beginning, but it's, I mean, it's going to explode. Also realize that sometimes emerging countries, even in Africa, are ahead of developing countries in this space. So for example, Kenya is ahead of the US in terms of the penetration of mobile payments relative to the GDP. China is way ahead of the US in terms of mobile payments. And this also allows us to have more certainty about the fact that this is coming. So first of all, we have to realize that this is coming in a huge way. It's coming faster than, than what we imagine. And you need to take 
digital transformation in a, a sort of a disruptive way, in a, in a way that is very fundamental and totally redefine the way that you work. Uh, centered on the idea that software is eating the world and these technology, exponential technologies allow us to redefine all the industries. So if you're not going to be disrupting, you're going to be disrupted. Absolutely. If you're not disrupting, you are going to be disrupted. Ignacio, we're out of time. I really appreciate you jumping on board on uh, the Intan show. Tell us where our viewers and listeners can find you if you have a website. My website is surfingtsunamis.com and you can also find me in my email address is penaignacio, I-G-N-A-C-I-O, at iCloud.com. All right, Peña Ignacio at iCloud.com. Ignacio, thank you so much. Stay safe, and I hope you're able to join us again in the future. I really appreciate your time. Goodbye from us, and enjoy your time, and thank you so much. Thank you, Ian. I I look forward to another opportunity, and it was a a big pleasure. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Ignacio. Hey friend, this is Ian Khan. If you liked what you saw on my video, then please subscribe to my YouTube channel and be inspired every single day with innovative content that keeps you fresh, updated, and ready for the future. For more information, also visit my website at iankhan.com. 